if you could do me a favor, you know, if you ain't that busy, if you could throw us down a couple blessings, you know, like one that I don't mess up being a manager. Uh, we're just three cats and never played a single snap. Here to tell you how to draft when the ship and run it back. The stats ain't tell the story, this is the story of the stats. You can stick it to your friends, what's more glorious than that? We're victorious in rap, bringing wrath to our rivals. We're here to shun the stats, laugh, and lead you all the titles. Stick to the path and follow us disciples. The only sin is math, and all you need is the Bible. It's the fantasy. Bible. It's the fantasy. Bible. It's the fantasy. Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Bible. I'm your host, Nate Biner. Here with me today, as always, is Dane. Dane, how you doing? Doing great. Stormy day. Stormy game ahead, maybe, in Miami. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there? Um, are you back in Boomy this week, Nate? I am. I'm uh, like not spiritually or emotionally or mentally, <laughs> but uh, financially, yes. I got, a, got a notification sound there. We'll uh, take care of that. But yeah, um, so Boomy is, uh, has backed the Dolphins to cover. If you're listening to this now, you're listening to it on a Friday, and the Dolphins probably haven't covered. I mean, who knows? Anything can happen. It's Thursday Night Football. I'd rather take the underdog. Um, if you watch the clip, you'll see that Boomy juggled uh, like six, the bones like six times before he picked one. Yeah, very convoluted result there. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what it means? Yeah. Multiverses were opened during the process. Uh, anything could happen. Yeah. yeah, there was definitely butterfly effect things going on uh, just just by the, the few movements that he was making. All right, so in today's episode, uh, we're gonna get we're gonna do. Uh, you know, it may not be super useful for those of you that are like looking for advice on like what to do right now in season, but. For the greater philosophical uh, listener, it's going to have a lot of appeal, especially to those that you know are already looking forward to next year. And what we're going to do is we're going to look back at the Ten Commandments of Drafting that we talked about in our very first two episodes and see how they have bared out over the course of the season. Uh, have they rang true? Have they rang false? Have they led us astray? That sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be fun to see how we can assess these going forward, whether we need to tweak them or uh, if it's just an anomaly or whether they're pretty sound and spot on. So I'm curious to see how many we hit on. Okay. Um, so uh, as you know, uh, you can, f- oh, actually, before we get into the social stuff, let's just get it to it at the top. Uh, so OBJ is a Ram now? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, the Rams think so, but then they deleted their social or their uh, their website post and then they i believe it's officially official yeah yeah yeah. um and by the time you're listening to this it'll definitely be official doesn't really make any sense to me um yeah for me it's just ring chasing by obj and then sean mcveigh is like all right (laughs) yeah i get why i get why odell did it i mean he wasn't on a terrible team but obviously the rams are are probably you know a super bowl favorite compared to the browns but like they just cut djx who is probably around the same stage of his career at OBJ at this point, like not fully what he used to be uh, an injury prone, but still somewhat capable. Um, so they didn't have enough snaps to go around for DJX. And now they're bringing in OBJ who was throwing a hissy fit in. Uh, I don't know if hissy fit is a you know, pejorative. He was getting upset because uh, he wasn't getting enough targets in uh 
in Cleveland, I mean, I, I, what I'm spelling out is pretty obvious here. Like this, does, this is not going to go well. Yeah. I don't see how he can be guaranteed a certain workload in that offense. I mean, they already have Cooper cup. Who's like on a blazing wide receiver, one record setting pace this year. They have Robert Woods, who is as consistent as he's been in the last few years, not flashy for fantasy, but getting, you know, eight targets or more a game. And, now you factor in, they've been cycling through their wide receiver three, whether it be Van Jefferson or Sean Jackson. And so this just probably blasts Van Jefferson into unstartable, irrelevant territory. You can drop him, I would say. Uh, OBJ presumably will be getting those targets, but I don't know whether it's reliable week-to-week production. I'm, I'm skeptical on what he's going to do for fantasy. Yeah, so like I, I mean, I get the idea of like, all right, let's bring in OBJ. He's going to be our wide receiver three. This could have an impact on Woods and Cup. As I was mentioning to you, like this is a an offense where the receivers have a ton of blocking responsibilities. And mm-hmm. if OBJ is not willing to put his all into those responsibilities, he's not going to be able to get on the field consistently. I'm sure the contract, I haven't seen the contract yet, but I'm sure it's going to be easy for them to, to cut him if it doesn't work out. So it'll be interesting to see the effort that they get out of OBJ. Um I was listening to a podcast with uh, Mitchell Schwartz that was talking kind of about like the effect that, you know, we'd hear of like the phrase distraction in a locker room, but he was kind of putting some weight to the idea that if, you know, if, if the media grabs onto something and if the media asks about you about it in your press conferences and it's brought up, you know, every time you have to speak to the media, then it's like, that's when it starts to become a distraction. So this is like, oh, yeah. I, and this is this is LA. This is a massive media market. So, I you know there's a lot of ways I can see this going poorly from a football perspective, which would obviously have fantasy football ramifications. I think overall this is a uh, at least so far a net negative move for fantasy football, although um, might be a small positive move for OBJ owners. Yeah, it's at least a positive for OBJ because he was clearly not playing for Cleveland. So. He went from, you know, being a healthy scratch, not part of the team to now he's on a team that is very good. So it's at least trending up recently for OBJ. But like you say, yeah, it kind of takes a little bump off of Cooper Cup and Robert Woods production there. But um, I'm more worried about Robert Woods and Van Jefferson than I am Cooper Cup. I I don't think Matthew Stafford is going to shy away from his boy, his breakfast mate, Cooper Cup. But uh, maybe a couple targets shed from the Woods and Van Jefferson workload, which Van Jefferson had minimal workload to begin with. So yeah, he's probably too hard to start now. All right. Well, I think I will use that to uh, segue into my mystery question, which is who do you think had more receiving yards in 20 in 2021 combined Odell Beckham or Van Jefferson? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it seems like a loaded question, so I'm going to go Van Jefferson. It is Van Jefferson. <laughs> That's wild, yeah. I mean, he hey, Odell was some injured. Time. Yeah, he, yeah uh, he was injured, but hey, best availability. The best availability is The best ability is availability. Yeah, yeah. The They know what I mean. All right, so... Uh, yeah, that's, that's obviously, you know, the uh, slanted stat, but it's just kind of funny to point out, uh, Cam is a Panther again, ever the everything is right with the world. I think we can expect to see the wildfires kind of drop off COVID numbers to go down. I think Aaron Rodgers will be getting vaccinated soon. This is the first in a long series of like, you know, uh, paradigm shifting, correcting, balancing events for, I think, 
uh, mother, mother earth and, and all of us <laughs> yeah to to get rid of that crazy drama filled last two weeks we've or maybe even month or so going back to john gruden it's just been like full tilt ever since then just you can't keep up with the news cycle there's a new story breaking before we can flesh out what just happened the day prior like hopefully you're saying yes this is a turning point uh cam newton is back in carolina it's reported that pj walker will start this week uh, we can probably assume Cam Newton will be the starter after that. And I don't know that they'll be so quick to jump back to Sam Darnold unless Cam Newton looks absolutely terrible. Yeah, I think this is probably a good move for fantasy given how that how terrible that offense has been lately. Um, I yeah. do think, you know, it, 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 I'm a fan of it either way because, you know, if, if Cam Newton performs well for them, that's exciting. Cam doing well in, in Carolina is an exciting thing. And it feels like it's something that should happen. But if, if a washed shoulder busted cam manages mm, yeah. to ring another four and a half million out of the Panthers organization, I'm also a fan of that move. Uh, cash those checks, you know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah. good for cam. Um, good for Panthers fans everywhere. Uh, fan of the move. All right, Dane, why don't you tell the people where they can find us on social a little bit about the Sunday Mass, and then we'll get into today's show. At Fantasy Bible Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and thefantasybible.com. And we're live on YouTube every Sunday. So you can find us there with the Sunday Mass. If you just want to hang out, talk football, have any late questions for start decisions, do the opposite of what we say, and you'll have a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that is at 11.45 a.m. on Sundays. I'm feeling good about this week. Yeah, I, I do hope it is a paradigm shift back to the – <laughs> the expectation or at least close to what we should see in these games. Uh, hopefully tonight, Thursday night, uh, Ravens win and there's nothing crazy that happens with the Ravens Dolphins. win by six. Yes. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. For the yeah, spread for yeah. Boomy, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Come join us. It's fun. All right. So let's talk about these first two commandments. Thou shalt draft an RB in round one. Thou shalt probably draft an RB in round two. Looking back at this list, uh, these are probably the two that I have the most, uh, I don't know, opposition to now at this point in the season. That's funny because I was thinking the exact opposite. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So why don't you, you, you talk and then I'll counterpoint. Well, the, the quick and easy way to, for me to answer that uh, is that eight out of 12 of the top 12 running backs were first round draft picks. So quickly easy to see their returning expected value um and then if you go beyond that uh deandre swift was a second round running back he's also in the top 12 so now you have nine out of 12 and then some anomalies like cordero patterson james connor and daryl henderson uh far exceeding their draft value but i'd say at nine out of 12 of the rb ones that's pretty solid and if christian mccaffrey hadn't been injured and saquon barkley hadn't been re-injured then i think it's pretty safe to say they'd be in there at least christian mccaffrey so i would chalk it up to about 10 out of 12 this year have returned first round or second round value and you know if you go beyond the top 12 you have nick chubb just outside with uh the 13th spot but he's been injured a week um then you have a couple of mix and match players beyond that so i think if you're looking for an rb1 it's pretty accurate what adp says for the first and second round running backs and then beyond that it gets a lot dicier so i think that's why it is important to take okay. that shot here's my opposition to that and it's more that you need to come out you need to do it in both rounds in, in round one and round two so here's our draft one one christian mccaffrey 
Mm-hmm. Not worth it. One, two, Dalvin Cook. Who knows what's going to happen there? Plus, he's missed some time. Derrick Henry, out for the rest of the season. Alvin Kamara, good. Saquon Barkley, bad pick. Zeke, good pick. Aaron Jones, not really performing to the Aaron Jones standard. Nick Chubb, good pick. Austin Eckler, good pick. Jonathan Taylor, good pick. Antonio Gibson, bad pick. Najee Harris, good pick. DeAndre Swift, great pick. J.K. Dobbins, bad pick. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, bad pick. Joe Mixon, good pick. So what, what was that? Like half the names that I named were injured, if not more? Yeah, I guess I It's like the most injury-prone position. So if you're doubling down on the most injury-prone position, then you're like you're just increasing your risk value and i understand like what you're saying that it's like it's 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 like we're almost making the same point because you're saying that there's going to be like they return their value and there's also going to be a scarcity of those rb1 so that's why you need to go twice and i'm saying that scarcity is is created in part to the nature of the position so yeah. if you're investing your top draft assets in that position both of them your first two round picks then you know, you're, you're putting, especially in our league where we're like, we're a three wide receiver league, mm-hmm. uh, like, and, and part of obviously, uh, as you know, like all of this is colored by experience and my experience up to this point has been that without it, like you said, a true RB one, you can't lead your league and uh, win your league. And if you can somehow get two of those, it's even better. So that's why we try and go for two. But the chances of like hitting on a top five wide receiver, which is usually available because of the way that people go running back is higher. Um, I don't really want to get into tight ends just yet because we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, But my experience this year has been that half the running backs I drafted in the first two rounds have not worked out. The league where I went zero running back in the first two rounds and Swift had fallen because there was some injury news and I got him in the, the fifth round. That is a league where I'm doing the best, taking more of a zero RB strategy. And I'm not saying that's going to be foolproof every year. I think both extremes are probably a little extreme, but I think that <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a lot more open to the idea of drafting um, a reliable, like picking a running back in the first round that I don't think is going to get injured, which is obviously a crazy thing to say because you would have said like Derrick Henry before that, but at least someone not like Saquon or not like Dalvin or something like that. And then picking uh, the best available receiver in the second round or something like that. So it's starting to seem a little bit more appealing to me. Yeah, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from. Um, hopefully it's not just like recency bias with getting lucky in that um, draft per se, not to say that it was a bad strategy, but it's interesting that it did work out. So I think it's, a, it's something to consider, especially uh, if you follow the philosophy to zig when other people zag, like if everyone goes eight RBs in a row and, you know, some guys falls a few spots, then it makes sense and uh, just play the best value. I almost think like best player available is a lot, something you should definitely consider and don't always go running back, running back. But I do yeah. think running back BPA. Yeah. I think we can maybe edit this to say, get one running back in the first two rounds. Get two running backs out of the first three. Yeah. That's probably a good time. Uh, a good, uh, sorry, bracket for that. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least the first four. Um, okay. This next one is probably the one I feel strongest about. Thou shall vote quarterback play and scheme over historical production when drafting wide receivers. I think this has rang true this year more than any 
Yeah, it's interesting. So thou shalt value quarterback play and scheme over historical production when drafting wide receivers. So, so you're saying basically... Who do you think the wide receiver one is right now? It's Cooper Cup, It's right? Cooper Cup. Yeah, if you look at Cooper Cup's historical production, like you wouldn't have seen that coming this year. But if you look at, okay, Sean McVay Howie, and Matt Stafford combination, then it then it rings true. And, and you know, no one was knew that, that it was going to be as good as it is, but... The, the the number four res, uh, overall receiver is Debo Samuel. Hmm. So like that's 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 another scheme based thing where I'm saying okay this guy is in a good scheme you know what I'm saying Tyree Kill is in a good scheme Jamar Chase is kind of the anomaly for me here because the quarterback play is there I don't know if the the scheme is there but the in a way it is because they're you know you know that they're going to go five wide and you know that they're going to be passing. Their pass first team and their pass rate is going to be like 70 30, especially if they're not winning. So that's kind of my thought process there. Yeah, I think it's at least predictive more than it's not. Like this will probably work out probably seven to eight out of 10 times. And that's pretty much all you can expect when we're trying to set guidelines like this, like you're saying. Like Marquise Brown, I don't know that he. Would no, fall into this he category. would not fall into this category. Mike yeah. Evans would. Devonte Adams would. Pittman is somehow the wide receiver nine. Um, yeah, good for him, man. Good, He's good not for him. Here. Um, and the, but Mike Williams, I would say, is a, another great example because you know the quarterback play was going to get better. You knew mm-hmm. that Lombardi was going to come in and it was going to be a possession based offense. And you know that Mike Williams is like the ultimate possession receiver, and so that those are a lot of reasons that factored into why we were so high on Mike Williams. So this is a bit of a, a weird commandment. And I think I had, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more context to it when I first wrote it, but I still think it's wrong. True. Looking at uh, the top 10 to 15 wide receivers this year. Yeah. And then you have a couple anomalies like Stefan Diggs is not playing up to where you drafted him and he would fall under that category of, you know, quarterback play and scheme. If we look at what Josh Allen has done recently, um, so, yeah, of course, it's not going to hit 100%, but I do like this, and I think it is a useful tool when you're deciding between two players, like um, like if you're deciding between uh, Stefan Diggs and I guess if we're at that top of the draft, it's kind of hard, but I think it helps you break down those close ties in your mind when you're getting into the more up-in-the-air rounds, like four-plus, then it's a, a useful tool. Well, I think it's really relevant for two two things is like, one, when a quarterback changes offense, like if Aaron Aaron Rodgers goes somewhere next year, like you should value yeah. those players accordingly. Like you know, the, the, if the quarterback play increases, it's reasonable to expect the stat increase as well. Which is something I've always been like, I don't know, like because bad quarterbacks can put up a lot of production as well. But I think you know, good quarterbacks ultimately put up more, um, which is you know, n- nothing groundbreaking. And then the other thing is uh, if you can get into, you know, like if you can figure out what the offensive coordinator wants to do, you know what I mean? Like we talked about how Kyle Pitts could be great in that Atlanta offense because of what Arthur Smith likes to do with the tight end position and how he likes to use the tight end as a big receiver across the middle. And that eventually rang true. And I'm not saying like, oh, we were early on a generational tight end. Everyone knew or thought that Kyle Pitts was going to be great. But that's just another example of how understanding what schematically, how maybe a new coach or a new offensive coordinator wants to do things can also just give you 
some information going into the draft. Yeah, I think the offensive coordinator is definitely something I'll be paying more attention to, and especially the teams that have shifted their coaching staff in that area. Um, yeah, like sometimes you see slow starts or a change of philosophy based on the personnel. So it's definitely something we talk about a lot in the offseason. Um, specifically, offensive coordinators is something I think I'll be paying more attention at as well. Um, and patience rings true as well. Like, like we were all out on Arthur Smith after we won, including me, who was like, you know, banging yeah, the Arthur Smith terrible. doldrums all off season. Yeah. And then they look terrible. And it's like, guys just figuring out who his personnel is and what's he, what he wants to do with them. And turns out Corderell Patterson is the, is the guy that he wants to, you know, make yeah. the centerpiece of that offense, but it's working. Um, all right. So thou shalt not draft any quarterback earlier than round seven. I mean, yeah. Right. I think, yeah, this holds true for everyone except super flex leagues. Obviously that's a different discussion, but in single quarterback leagues, there's surely value to be had there. Like if we look at the top quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Matt Stafford are up there and they were around seven and Jalen hurts. And yeah, it's like Joe Burrow, Carson Wentz is QB 10, Justin Herbert, you know, was probably around the seventh round. That was probably where he was going. Yeah, Joe Burrow was like a 10th rounder, you know, based on his injury concerns. He's quarterback nine, like Carson Q- Wentz. Who's Kirk QB1? Cousins, Ryan Tannehill. Who's yeah, QB- Tom Brady. No, who's QB1 drafted? Patrick Mahomes, and he's QB6. So it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah. As It's like the value... And it's also... It's like looking at the point spreads, they're just so close together. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's like the value is just never there to take that top quarterback. And... uh I don't know if we need to go on about that, but that's that I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, I think that is a good enough summation of it. I agree with it. Um, I mean, I guess they can't see what they're saying, but if you if you go look at the top quarterbacks, the difference between like the QB one and QB eight in points, at least this year, is like not as extreme as you'd expect it to be. And it's not what it would be if you compare the RB one to say the RB eight. Um Right. Although some years there are anomalies, like the Lamar Jackson MVP year, you know, was was he was far above every other quarterback. Cam Newton in 2015. Sometimes there are anomalies, but the chance that you hit on that anomaly is also pretty rare if you're taking the the first quarterback because those quarterbacks weren't the first ones drafted in those years. All right, um, thou shalt not draft the tight end three or lower earlier than round eight. Thoughts. I think the general philosophy is pretty sound. Um, The tight end three mark is probably liable to shift as the years go on and new talent crops up or falls off. But for this year, it does seem like it held pretty well. Um, So basically we're saying if you don't get one of the big three tight ends or even big two, because Kittle was, you know, or um, Kittle Waller, and then it kind of dropped off after him, Mark Andrews, who has proved pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a good trend or a good uh, idea to follow. Um, now maybe Kyle Pitts is up in that upper category going forward. We'll see if he can hold on to that. He's probably right around Mark Andrews going forward. So it, maybe next year it's like, don't draft the tight end five or beyond. Yeah. Look, TJ Hawkinson was going in the fourth and fifth rounds and he's the tight end 10 and the tight end 10 is doing nothing for your team. You know, right. Mike Kosecki's a tight end three Hunter, Hunter, Hunter Henry, CJ Azuma. Kyle Pitts, CJ Zuma is the tight end five. Wow. Those, those couple of boom games have really, uh, really factored in. Um, so yeah, bottom line here, 
there's just like streaming tight ends. It's it's a very similar point to to quarterbacks that there's more value in the late rounds in streaming. And based like this is when you should be like taking those RB threes and RB twos and hoping that to to hit on a jackpot, you know, to hit on a a Michael Carter if you held him long enough, a Javante Williams that could break out, some someone like that. Yeah, definitely agreed. There's just no real benefit to drafting those middle tight end guys. You either get a known stud who won't disappoint you like Kelsey or Kittle one healthy stuff like that, or you just wait. And, you know, these guys crop up throughout the season. Like we had uh, CJ Uzama out of nowhere, Dalton Schultz, who proved to be the real deal after breaking out last year. Um, even Zach Ertz went to a new team and is now viable. Like all these late guys and even uh Dawson Knox, he's tight end 10 and he hasn't played since he hasn't even, yeah, six. Once he's healthy, like, you know, and, and the Bills offense has not looked the same without him. <laughs> I think that's the key to the Bills' uh, recent failure is they did not have Dawson Knox on the field. I think that's like more legitimate than you would you might think. Yeah, yeah. I jest, but also it could be true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also I want to say that the inverse of this rule is not true. Like because this year I was hyper-focused in nailing a top three tight end. I was tired of playing around with the, the tight end position. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm getting one of these guys. And I was never in a position except in one league to draft Kelsey. So I ended up with Kittle or Waller in a lot of leagues. And it's really hurt me. It's really hurt my rosters in those leagues. So uh, I would say, you know, the I don't know if that's quite the inverse, but targeting a top three tight end might not be the best way to go. Although I will certainly be looking at that Kyle Pitts next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Cause we didn't see the return on investment that we thought we would with those uh, with Kittle and um, Waller. Of course, Kittle got injured and who's to say he wouldn't have return value. I don't know, but um, yeah, basically it's just probably better to wait and get to soak up the value on waiver or in round 10 plus. All right. Thou shalt prioritors, prioritors. <laughs> Thou shalt prioritize trade value over roster construction. So this one is obviously league dependent. If you're not in a trade happy league, then it's probably not worth it. But I think a better way to revise this would be to take overall player value over roster construction. Like, okay. It, like if the overall ADP 50 wide receiver is on the board, but there's like a you know, a running back whose overall ADP is 65 and you really need a running back, but he's just like a couple tiers below the caliber of that wide receiver. Like you should probably just trust the value of the ADP because it's typically right. And when you're talking about gaps that big. Um, so, yeah, I think the whole point is here. If you have two running backs on your roster and you have four wide receivers, you might feel like you need to go running back in the sixth round or whatever, or seventh round, but that's not necessarily true. Look at the board, look at the larger scope of the draft. Like you don't want to be reaching on players because you're losing value when you keep reaching. Uh, That has happened to one of our league mates. He reached around early on almost every single pick and he is one in eight, one in nine or something. Yeah. One in eight. So, you know, just don't, don't feel like you have to reach for guys you love. Um, Yeah. That's, that's a big part of it is just, if you see your roster filling out a certain way, don't, Think about that too much. Just focus on, you know, notably that that, that league member also I think shipped off a lot of the the good players that he did draft, like uh, C. E. Lamb and DeAndre Swift and such. 
That's fair, yeah. Yeah. Um, although, like CD Lamb, it's it's tough because uh, his hype train just got out of control. <laughs> well, it, it's it's like he's playing well. He's not playing to the hype train, but it's just so clear how much Amari Cooper limits him, or or how they limit each other in that yeah. offense because they're both excellent wide receivers. And they're like, I think Amari Cooper is like the wide receiver 20 and Lamb's like the wide receiver 14 or something like that. They're like right next to each other. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, so, all right. Um, yeah, I like this. And yeah, BPA is always gonna, is always going to help you out in the end. Plus there's always people popping up on the waiver to fill the holes that you need to fill. Um, all right. This one is pretty abstract. I don't know if we need to get into it much. Thou shalt balance every risk. Rookies with known assets, injury prone slash Iron Man players, uh, boom bus players slash your steady producers. Well, do you have any thoughts on this one? I, I think it's I think it rings true. It's hard to execute, but to me, it's it's very similar to what we said the last time. Where if you're going to take, I mean, this is a bad example because they're on the same team, but if you're going to take a Javante Williams, also try and take a Melvin Gordon at some point. Yeah, I think it's, it just seems too lofty and broad of a goal. I think we should refine it for next year when we Mm -hmm. go through, but yeah, like it's really just pay attention to the types of players you're drafting. Like, yeah, you don't want to draft all All the hype train bust plays. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's going to get you into trouble and it, will more times than not get you into trouble. You don't want to take those low probability guys to break out. It's not really exciting spot. to draft Keenan Allen, but yeah, you, know, you can never go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What we're saying is pair of Keenan Allen with the boomer bus player, like a Mike Williams. Like yeah. later. And that's a bad example. Players they're players that are on the same team, team but it's so easy to it. pair. Like, yeah, it's, it's late, you know, they get the, they get the archetype of the players. All right. Yeah. Uh, thou shalt prioritize the slot receiver in mid to late rounds. And if we look at the top 24 wide receivers, Tim Patrick is on this list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and other guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Hunter Renfro even. Tyler Lockett. He he was not really in the later rounds, and he's actually just hanging in as a top 24 wide receiver by a thread, but yeah. Even Cole Beasley is top 36, and he's already had a bye week like, yeah, it's just in those middling rounds where you don't know what's going to go, how the offense is going to shift one way or another. Um, yeah, slot receivers tend to be involved uh, on a per target target. What am I trying to say? More targets per play basis than those outside shot guys like Van Jefferson or someone like that. Yeah, I wonder if we could should modify this to like prioritize the slot receiver on certain types of teams because I, like. Like, I feel like, you know, uh, like an offense that's led by Teddy Bridgewater is a great example for, because he's going to take what's there. And the slot receiver is often what's there. He's not going to be hunting for the big play, like, which is why Tyler Lockett often drops off because Russ is looking for whoever's streaking downfield. So, um, yeah, maybe yeah. something to do with average depth of target. We can look into that and we'll yeah. find that. I think we'll get deeper. Good... We'll get deeper into the stats and figure it out. Eventually, we'll just devolve into analytics stat heads and everyone will hate us. <laughs> yeah, which is the opposite of what we <laughs> intended to do. But uh, hey, you know, stats have do land context. All right. Uh, that sh- thou shalt probably not draft a defense and God forbid a kicker. And yeah, uh, I think this is true. Yeah, we saw how terrible it is to predict defensive performances year to year. Like, 
um, the Washington football team is probably the biggest example that immediately comes to my mind. They just they were like the not, number two ranked defense in a lot of yeah. They were backs. phenomenal last year. They were forced to be reckoned with. Uh, they just are not looking like that defense at all this year, and they're in fact a defense to target right now in fantasy. So it's it's very hard uh, to project those defenses year to year, and because of that reason, it's just not worth investing a draft pick. Just take a flyer. Yeah, and uh, and the reason we say that is like depending on when your draft date is, like obviously if you, if you draft the you know the day before the NFL starts, draft the defense. But yeah. if you're drafting two or three weeks before, we often draft like three weeks before the season starts, just because of how our our schedules work now with some of our league mates, and and a lot can happen over those three weeks. You know, like you know you could draft the Rams defense, and then Aaron Donald could you know get some again and something could happen with Aaron Donald you know I don't want to even like put that out in the air because Aaron Donald's yeah. so great to watch but um you know you got what I'm saying like just prioritize the one chance that you have to like maximize that extra bench spot before you need to uh use it on a ram uh you know a, a defensive spot and even more so for kickers number two overall defense is the Cardinals this year yeah, nobody drafted them. Nobody, nobody drafted anticipated the them. Yeah, and yeah. despite them signing JJ Watt, like nobody really was looking at them as a fantasy defense. And here they are. The Titans looked terrible in the season, and they're the number six defense because they've gotten <laughs> their acts together. Like, and they play in you know they play the Jags and and the Texans. But yeah, yeah um, so which is another maybe. Hey, maybe that should be a commandment: is draft uh, draft defenses in in terrible divisions. Um, yeah. And then this this last one I think is uh is solid as well. Thou shalt limit thyself to a one handcuff maximum. Yeah, I think it's pretty solid. Um, and especially I would say you should only really draft the handcuff in the draft if you have like one of those certain guys like Tony Pollard or Alexander Madison or a Tuba Hubbard. Like unless you if you can't clearly define the handcuff when you're drafting, don't draft the handcuff because it's not worth it. Like a Devonte Booker, we knew he would be behind Saquon and especially with Saquon's injury uh, coming off that pretty serious injury, then it's worth it to draft that handcuff, but don't draft another one. And then certainly don't draft one that's ambiguous. Like uh, we, we don't know necessarily all the backfields. Like uh, let's, I don't know. Let me just pick one. Uh, Trey Sermon. <laughs> oh, I mean, Let's he's not, not really a there. handcuff, but he wasn't really a handcuff. But just talking about back, like ma- the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles, perfect one. Miles Sanders, you'd think the backup would be it's maybe Kenny rookie Gainwell. Kenny Gainwell, especially after being involved heavily in the first two weeks. Uh, no, <laughs> it's just everyone is involved. So, like Miami Dolphins, if Miles Gaston goes down, I don't want. Any well, like part who's of that. the backup in 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 the for the Chargers? You know, who are you handcuffing Austin Eckler to? Like, yeah, you're, just certain situations where it's it's not easy to figure out and those are the ones where you shouldn't be drafting them exactly all right dame before we get out of here should we talk about uh, our our blockbuster trade sure yeah <laughs> yeah it was pretty fun but uh do you have it on hand or uh i have it on in memory um so dane and i entered trade negotiations uh i am the christian mccaffrey drafter in this league i have not had a good season i also drafted kittle so for two of my first three picks were out for the majority of the season. I am three and six. Um, I have had some good waiver picks. Um, and then I also, we are a keeper league. So I drafted Javante Williams for those uh, 
purposes, but I, I now have Kadarius Tony. Um, I also have Darnell Mooney. I have Dak Prescott as a eighth round pick. So there, there are some keeper options that made Javante Williams movable. Flash yeah. forward to Dane. Dane just moved out some depth. Depth. He moved out Robert Woods and Melvin Gordon to acquire DeAndre Swift and who else? That was it. That was it. All right. So to acquire DeAndre Swift, so he has another star running back in addition to Najee Harris and Nick Chubb. But now Dane has no wide receiver depth. We are a three wide receiver league. Keenan Allen is really his only startable wide receiver. So he's trying to flip Chubb or uh, Harris to upgrade at wide receiver and then also get another startable running back. I enter into the conversation with an offer. Well, I won't start at our beginning offers because we went through a lot of counter offers, but the final deal was Christian McCaffrey, Javante Williams, and Amari Cooper for Nick Chubb, Najee Harris, and um, someone else. Oh, Kenyon Drake, who is coming on this, uh, towards the second half of the season. Um, so the bottom line there is Dane essentially moves out players to shore up a starting lineup where he has Swift and McCaffrey, huge ceiling there, especially in a half PPR league, and then brings in Amari Cooper, who, in my opinion, I know he doesn't have, is much below, but could be still finish the season higher than Robert Woods. Yeah, yeah, I think he's at least comparable in that regard. I think he has more boom potential than Robert Woods, and that's what I was going after because I have I had Keenan Allen and Robert Woods up to this point, and they were never combining for more than like 25 points, which is a good floor, but it felt like their floor was their ceiling, and I could never break into that that boom category that I wanted to. Yeah. So Amari Cooper brings that on the Dallas offense. I think it was as by low as you can get. They didn't perform very well, you know, and they're coming off a bye week recently, so it's like, I wanted to try to acquire players that were after their buy. Like that's why I went for Swift and traded Chubb because Chubb is probably missing this week with COVID. And then he has a week 13 buy. So now I'm not getting Chubb two out of the next five weeks. And I need to win like three or four out of these next five games to make playoffs. So it was just a couple of things factored in there. And then uh, I think we found the right trade that worked. So, yeah, I'm probably not making playoffs, but if I do, I need to, you know, a miracle to happen. And the both way, the best way to execute a miracle in my mind was to have a running back juggernaut because I also have Joe Mixon. So I have those three running backs starting. And then if I can hit on the right receiver starts, uh, you know, get something cooking here. Yeah, Plus I also have- need to win this week. Yeah, and you do have Kittle coming back and Tyler Lockett coming back with Russell Wilson. So, like, everything could hit at the right moment. And then with that running back trio, it's just obliterating opponents if you have a boom week. Yeah, and then as soon as Dane trades me uh, Dallas Goddard for uh, Chuba, <laughs> Chuba Hubbard, Hubbard, he'll be in a good spot because he'll be able to replace CMC uh, when he goes down with another injury. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need another on-air negotiation. All right, join us. If you do potentially want to see another on-air negotiation, join us on YouTube this Sunday at 11.45. Because <laughs> it probably will. <laughs> because if it you don't show will. up, we get bored, and then we start trade, uh, doing trade negotiations. So, yeah, that's our Sunday mess show. It's a great time. Uh, you can find us, as always, at Fantasy Bible Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and at www.thefantasybible.com on the internet where there's really no reason for you to go there. Oh, <laughs> you you could ask us questions. You could there's a contact form which we check regularly. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah. 
this is the point of the music where or the the show where outro music rolls so i will be uh you know saying goodbye thanks for listening peace